they misread everything that he said as a as a casual flippant um just throwing away shabbat which is clearly a a contradiction if you actually read the text it's not what it's saying at all so do you think that that goes into the messianic movement i kind of see that, that there are in the larger messianic movement that oh well look at our master he's saying oh it's permitted to do good on shabbat isn't it mm-hmm. Welcome, everybody, to the Am Yisrael podcast. I'm Shalom. And I'm Ami. Hey, and this is Yisrael. What's our topic for today, guys? So today we're going to be talking about Shabbat, and we're going to be talking about a lot of issues, a lot of related issues to Shabbat, Mm. and it's a little bit of an outgrowth of our last week's podcast, which was more on tradition in the Messianic movement. And so we want to go ahead and start off really talking about like what Shabbat looks like in B.I., you know, maybe contrast that with other messianic congregations we've been in, and um, just also uh, look a little bit more historically at a, the American example of Shabbat in terms of how the conservative movement fits in with that, and some uh, some of their tushavot, their responsa. Let's just go ahead and start it off, start off. And uh, I think Sheldon, Shalom, mm-hmm. you, you've been here the longest out of all of us. So, yeah. what's your experience been like in terms of your experience here at Shabbat uh, on Shabbat, I should say, in the community? Uh, Shabbat is Shabbat and the holidays were really what drew me here. I, it's the, the hospitality in the community is second to none. The community of Beth Emanuel here in Hudson just really knows how, especially the people who, who live here, like all within walking distance. So I know you've been like hosted by the EBs a lot. I wouldn't even be here in Hudson, Mm. uh, if not for people like Aaron Eby. And to, to get the opportunity to sit at his table, his his Shabbat table, mm. with with his family and all the kids, you know, singing uh, singing songs. Aaron is zealous about making sure that you're singing songs at the Sabbath table, and uh, and it's it's so beautiful. Uh, and I really have learned so much sitting at Sabbath tables of others, being at the uh, Sephardic families' tables uh, for Shabbat as well, and seeing a completely, not completely, but a different way of doing things, not as familiar to me, having mostly a Hasidic uh, experience of what a Shabbos table looks like. Shalom, can I ask you, uh, before coming to Hudson, were you Shomer Shabbat? Yes and no. Okay. You know, on my own, I was toward the end before I moved here. I was walking to uh, to this um, Bible study that I was that we had in in our in our hometown, um, and where we would read through the Torah portion and study everything. Um, but I'd be carrying my books. Okay. <laughs> I'm oh, carrying my okay. Tanakh. Uh, carrying my Tanakh there. So and you're so on the way. On the way. I was on the way when I really got to experience. Being uh, Shomer Shabbat was uh, at Chabad, mm-hmm. where where you're kind of like put into like a a transported to another world, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, you and, were staying by somebody. Yeah, staying staying with the rabbi. Yeah, you really 
you know, not that I couldn't have snuck my phone or something, but I didn't want to. And just uh, being there and, and just kind of being shepherded through Shabbat and mm-hmm. then learning how to keep Shabbat that way. Before moving here, and in fact, even before I came here the very first time, I studied out um, the laws of Shabbat uh, so that I, when I came here, I would know what I needed to do. So I wasn't Shomer Shabbat, like compared to where I am today. Um, but it's it was mostly just because of a lack of learning, a lack of experience of mm-hmm. that. Well, also, I think it's the lack of being able to see it happen. You know, I talk, we talked a little bit about that. I told a story last podcast about, uh, you know, a, a late Pesach Seder and how that was kind of unthinkable for a lot of people in the Messianic congregations I've been to in the past. And it's just that they really hadn't seen it done before. And so I yeah. think that, you know, somebody can learn all of the laws of Shabbat and all the ins and outs and everything like that. But you really need to be at, mm-hmm. you know, the the E.B. family's table or the Mitchell's table or like, you know, different different families' tables to see, oh, I see. This is how it, it's supposed to feel and this is what it's supposed to look like and, mm-hmm. and all of that. Mm-hmm. And it's also interesting is some people they all they learn it from is from a book from art scroll or some some rabbi that teaches them some kabbalistic you know Shabbos uh, teachings whatever and then uh, and then they they have uh, conceptions preconceived mm. notions about like what it's like to keep Shabbos and what it feels like mm. but you're like oh you've got book knowledge but you got to have that 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 practical knowledge of actually participating in it with, with other Jewish people. Yeah. And I mean, you have a different, a really, really interesting perspective um, in terms of your relationship with Shabbat and everything like that. Having never even come here before, not even to like a conference or something like that, a, you know, FFOZ conference uh, when they were hosted here. And now, you know, you lived in Israel for a time and now you're here. So I'm curious what you're in also your Sephardic, which is uh, you know, I don't know, kind of maybe half and half in, in our community in terms of who's Sephardi and who's Ashkenazi. And so, but I know you've had some previous uh, like Hasidic experiences, like maybe in Chabad or, or other places. So to, tell, talk to me about what your family's like um, in terms of what their experiences have been at Beth Emanuel in regards to Shabbat. Um, at Beth Emanuel, we came uh, to settle down for a while in, in Hudson because of Shabbat in, in, in Hudson and what it would be like. And, and really there was nowhere else in the United States where, where we could go that wouldn't be so jarring to our children. Um, because in Israel, you know, Shabbat is everywhere. It's all around you. Of course, you have neighbors who are driving cars. And, um, but even those neighbors were uh, extending a Shabbat Shalom to each other um, you know, before they take off in their vehicle. Um, but in Israel, you, you have a really nice example of how to be concerned about your own observance without worrying about um, the way somebody else might be observing. And I think um, in Hudson, it's very similar to that. Everyone tries um, to do their best to hold uh, where they're holding and to just only grow from there. Um, but when it concerns somebody else's observance, mm-hmm. um, that's that's not for me to even think about. So whether somebody's mm-hmm. carrying something or, or, um, or whether they're you know I could see they've got a cell phone in their pocket or something. That's not that's not something uh, that I can be concerned with, um, because I don't know which direction they're going. I'm assuming they're they're coming closer to being Shomer Shabbat rather than going further further away. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Shalom, you have a beautiful story about that. Did you want to share yeah. uh, the story? Yeah. So I, I heard this recently that that some children, some secular Jewish children came to the Lubavitcher Rebbe and they said to him, Rebbe, are we good Jews? And this reminds me of some of the the questions that are posed to the master in the Gospels, where it's it seems like there's not really a good answer. Mm. Because if he says, yes, you're good Jews, then these these children think that they don't need to improve their observance. Yeah, kind of give the stamp of approval in terms mm-hmm. of where they're at currently. And if he says no then that's just like an offense to them and they're going to walk away and they're going to be upset. Sure. And yeah, they're either going to be hurt or offended mm-hmm, mm-hmm. or they're, they're just going to say, see, that's how Orthodox Jews are. They, you know, yeah. whatever. But the Rebbe answered with, I think a beautiful answer. And he said, a Jew who does one mitzvah and is on their way to two is a good Jew. Mm, interesting. A Jew that's doing 613 mitzvahs and is on their way to 612 is a bad Jew. That's beautiful. I mean, you can also say 612 ain't bad, but... Uh. <laughs> yeah, well, no, 612 is great if you're, as long as you're on your way to 613. Yeah, no, I think that's really beautiful. And I think that that really represents the Messianic movement in general. Um, you know, when we think about the larger Messianic movement, um, obviously in Beth Emanuel, there is a decided standard that maybe not everybody holds, and everybody holds differently, obviously, and, and privately in their own home. But the standard for Beth Emanuel is that we don't use things that have classically been, quote-unquote, like Orthodox Shabbat, or again, you know, I'll, I'll lobby for my term, classical Judaism. You know, so a classic Shabbat is that you don't use electricity, you unplug, you unplug for the day. So at certain times, Beth Emanuel has had uh, instruments and electronics and things like that that have been used, uh, but in the past, but it's always been Gentiles, mm-hmm. just strictly Gentiles that have done that. And so the standard is, okay, we have an Orthodox standard, quote unquote, a classical Jewish standard for what Shabbat's going to look like. But then it's very interesting because we obviously have this mix, just like any other Messianic synagogue of Jews and Gentiles. And just like any synagogue. Maybe. That's true. Just like any synagogue. Very true. And uh, except in most uh, Orthodox synagogues, though, the Gentiles are like... Uh, guy that's the Shabbos goy, you know, kind of thing. It but, happens. But, uh, or something? yeah, exactly. You know, but, um, but, but the interesting thing is, is that in other Messianic congregations, there's, there's a real contrast. First of all, I think a lot of other Messianic congregations, and I don't mean to say this uncharitably, but there's really just a lack of education. Like you were saying, you had the book knowledge, mm-hmm. you know, before you came here, but you didn't really, didn't have the access to really see what it was supposed to look like. And I think that that's really the case in a lot of other messianic congregations. Either, you know, I remember, <laughs> I remember there's this guy who was not Shomer Shabbat according to classical Jewish standards or quote unquote like Orthodox standards. And uh, I met somebody from his messianic synagogue and they're like, oh, yeah, that's our Orthodox guy. And I'm like, uh, <laughs> not really. You know, maybe he's on that direction. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. But, I mean, there, there's there's a really a desire, I think, for people to keep Shabbat. But just, you know, there's a, there's a little bit of a resistance. We talked about this last podcast to tradition and in the Messianic world in general and definitely to Orthodoxy. And we talked about all the kind of whys and maybe some of the things that lie behind that. Well, okay, we're not going to we're not going to model ourselves off of these people like Orthodox standards, and also we've really never seen it done. So let's kind of mm-hmm. you know we don't have access to it. 
And so it really looks different. And one of the things that I think is really important to, to see a huge, huge difference, and we could talk about a little a little bit of the, the backgrounds of this historically, but in, at, at Beth Emanuel, you obviously have people who drive, maybe even Jewish people who drive as well to, to come to services on Shabbat. But you have a community. You have people that live close. And I remember when I first met Boaz Michael, I think it was like 2010 or so, 2009 2010 and he was telling me that he knows of a synagogue i i personally had just moved close to my messianic synagogue uh close enough to walk now some people might not even know who boaz is uh, okay so boaz michael is the is the founder of first fruits of zion with his wife uh tikva um amber and uh so he they were doing like kind of a american tour mm -hmm. they they lived in america at that time they live in israel now and they were doing an american tour kind of like their bus tour they took they piled their family into a bus and they were just stopping by all kinds of messianic synagogues and you know uh messianic gatherings and things like that throughout america and they came to my messianic synagogue and we were just talking about things and like oh you you walk here and i was like yeah you know i just i just took the plunge and moved close enough but I was telling him how I was like horribly alone every day or every Shabbat rather, just because mm -hmm. nobody else in my community lived in the area. Mm -hmm. And plus they would go do, you know, things they would go to the beach or go to the movies or mm -hmm. go, you know, do go do other group activities. And I didn't have a family at that time. So I was just alone. I was just at my, at my house alone and it got to be extremely lonely. And so I was talking to him about this aspect of uh, being alone in my community because nobody else lived in the community. It really was kind of like everybody commuted, if you will, for like a couple hours on a Saturday. And so he said, well, there's a place. He kind of like a magical, mystical place where there's at least 25 families that all live within walking distance. And I was like, what? You know, you had to like my jaw dropped. And that's the first time. Uh, I think the next year or two after he had told me about Beth Emanuel, I came to visit and I was just floored. Mm -hmm. You know, I really was. I mean, but we have a community here. You know, there's people that that live near 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 the synagogue that you see them throughout the week multiple times. You know, and the, you see them at synagogue, different, and we're able to, you know, be part of one of each other, be part of each other's lives in terms of, you know, borrowing things or helping people move or you know just in just just different things and it's like not like oh well i live an hour away i can't really be there you know in the next 10 minutes to help you i don't start your car or something like that but when you live in a community you have that closeness to be able to do that and that's really only created mm -hmm. that i know of in a place like beth emmanuel mm -hmm. because people are shomer shabbat so the halakha that we observe at beth emmanuel actually um does more than just limit someone's uh, abilities on Shabbat, like driving, it also forces community. Yeah, mm -hmm. I wanna, that brings that brings us to another topic I want to talk about. So it's very interesting in the in the nineteen in nineteen fifty in America, you had the conservative movement, and there was a particular ruling by Mordechai Adler and others that uh, I think it was like three gentlemen who talked about the issue of driving on Shabbat, and so really the the idea of driving on Shabbat was a response to you're able to drive just to and from your house to the synagogue and that's it. And that was the majority opinion. And then the minority opinion is that you were only able to drive, able to drive in emergency situations. Mm -hmm. And so what that For did, sure, I would, I would think even the Orthodox position is, well, it is. Yeah. Emergency that, that, yeah, situations. So that, that's different. That's mm -hmm. that, of course, that's the, that's a, the issue as well. Everybody could drive, you know, Jews, Jews, any Jew can drive on mm -hmm. in an emergency. And well, how were they defining emergency? 
Yeah, so that's so that's another thing is that's very interesting. And see, I'm ran out of wine. <laughs> <laughs> um, so here, here's here's actually the language from from that response. The program that we propose then is not to be rec- regarded as the full and complete regimen of Shabbat observance, valid for all Jews for all times and for all places. On the contrary, it's aimed to meet the particular situation that confronts us. It shall be understood that in their wisdom and in light of the conditions prevailing in their respective communities, individual rabbis might find the easements here proposed unnecessary for the achievement of the larger goal, etc. And yeah, so essentially what this did, and you have somebody uh, in YU Yeshiva University, uh, Rabbi Aaron Rokafet, and he's a professor of rabbinic literature there. What I heard Rabbi Rokafet say in this she'ur, this lecture, is that he's talked to like old time conservative rabbis that were around at that time. And basically said that that responsa, that teshuva, it it destroyed Judaism in America, wow. mm-hmm. because you all of a sudden you can go ahead and live in the suburbs and then drive to your synagogue on on Shabbat, and so that doesn't necessitate you living in the community. You your kids go to go to schools that are not Jewish schools, or their school their secular schools like out out in the burbs or whatever it is. And then obviously they intermarry, et cetera. And it kind of really destroyed Judaism because it doesn't, you lost that community aspect to things. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And today, uh, the conservative, within the conservative movement, the conservative movement is dwindling. People are either becoming Orthodox and they're grabbing on to a Torah way of viewing things, or they're going to reform or just becoming secular altogether. So it was interesting. I was, I was reading, on a on a, a website responsive for today it's the conservative movement the masorti movement in israel and uh the you know they talk about the, we have to re-examine the lenient decision of the united states in light of the conditions in israel and so the reasons that they had that basically don't apply in israel so it's so it's interesting because mm-hmm. they basically said well okay we're not taking this ruling and applying it to people in israel they said driving is is forbidden and one of the and one of the things they said is public prayer is not a re- biblical requirement, mm-hmm. and so it's either a rabbinic requirement or simply a recommended form of prayer, and can therefore not push aside the biblical prohibition of starting a car on Shabbat. And this is, furthermore, many rabbis have ruled that public prayer on Shabbat does not even push aside a rabbinic pro- prohibition. So you so even if driving is a, only rabbinic prohibition, it would not be set aside for the sake of the public prayer for public prayer. And so they talk about how in the Masorti movement. they really need to go ahead and create their own places, Mm -hmm. their own synagogues. And, you know, they do so for obviously theological and philosophical reasons, which kind of like us. I mean, it's basically we we don't have a lot of access to to Orthodox synagogues. And so we have to really create our own places. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I I wanted to ask your guys, your guys uh, experiences, because there's something called the Kiruv movement which was kind of populated, popular, popularized. It's a little bit of debate, you know, was it in the fifties or what is it? Was it earlier than that? But either way, you have a lot of people that are driving to synagogue. They're driving to places like Chabad or they're driving to places like Asha Torah and uh, dro- drove to any of these places on Shabbat, like a Chabad house or something. Um, yeah, I did drive to services uh, at a Chabad and at the Chabad that I went to essentially nearly everybody was driving um, vehicles and people would walk in to the to the house and toss their keys on the table without any kind of shame oh wow um so in 
and, and the rabbi, it was his job just to sort of look the other way and not think about how they arrived there. Um, and I think I discussed this with him one time. Like, how do you feel about the fact, like eventually when I came to really understand things, mm -hmm. how do you feel about the fact that so many people are driving uh, to services? And he says, well, I don't want them to drive anywhere on Shabbat. Um, but if if this is the only Jewish thing that they have, they're never going to cease driving on Shabbat if they don't first learn to love Shabbat and to hear that they uh, should not be doing such a thing on Shabbat. So first they need to hear, and then they then they can take action. So do you mean by so do you mean by that to say like okay, first they have to fall in love with Shabbat and also see Shabbat modeled in a classical Jewish way? Is that what you mean by that? Well, yeah, you know, ultimately that is how it was because you would have people who were driving um, on Shabbat. Uh, coming into the place, uh, seeing other Jews doing that same thing. But then you also would see Jews who you knew walked, you know, five miles. They came in, you know, sweaty from the sun. Mm -hmm. And um, some of them carried, some of them didn't carry. And you found people who were also sleeping either nearby or sleeping at the Chabad house. Wow. And so you could see this kind of progression and, and you knew that there was a, a path to follow um, in growing in your uh, Shmirat Shabbat. Yeah, so how about, how about you, Shalom? Have you had any experience of um, kind of these Kirov movements or organizations and seeing people drive there on Shabbat and holidays and things like that? Well, I'll, I'll back up a little bit. It's kind of funny. I, the first time I showed up uh, to, to try to um, take classes at Chabad was uh, to a Talmud Torah class. <laughs> okay what, what, what's Talmud what's Talmud it was for was the that... kids uh, oh, okay. but I, I didn't know um, I, I actually arrived on a, at a time when they weren't doing it but I didn't I didn't realize or I thought I was going to show up and learn some Talmud oh, that's, <laughs> that's, funny. that's where I was at the time mm -hmm. um, and the rabbi you know was there and he uh, he told me oh you should come back you know we he told me the schedule and everything so I came back for um, the classes going through the parashiot and also um, there was a, another, uh, class that was a, a Jewish learning Institute class that he taught every week. He would, he would say, Sheldon, are you going to come, are you going to come over to our place for, for Shabbat dinner? And I'd say, well, you know, I've got the, I've got plans, you know, this week, you know, I, I was keeping, you know, Shabbat, you know, on my own. Um, but, uh, you know, he, he kept extending the, the offer to me. Um, he said, well, we'll be here next week. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, these guys don't give up, do they? No, thank, thank goodness. Um, and so um, when I did come, I arrived, you know, way too early, um, you know, before Shabbat. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm like wanting to help. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> and the Rebbitson's like, no, 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 just go sit down. <laughs> it's, it's funny because I always tell people who come to our synagogue, you know, if they come on time, I'm like, you're on time, but the rest of the congregation's late. <laughs> you know, yeah. So that's kind of how it goes. Yeah. Um, so so I, I actually uh, had the opportunity to stay. It was a, it was a Chabad house. It wasn't just a synagogue. Um, it, it was also the rabbi's house. And so, uh, oh wow, that, that, how you mm -hmm. like how you like that for up close and personal? Mm -hmm. So you know, I got a, a room to stay um, with uh, with another uh, Jewish guy, and we all we all had a place to stay overnight, and uh, I get to just like I just 
was able to just keep Shabbat um, the way it's supposed to be done. Um, and I mean, there was a lot I was learning and I was making mistakes, you know, those, those first times, um, you know, <laughs> but this is, goes back to what you were saying earlier mm -hmm. in the sense that as long as you're moving towards something, yeah. mm -hmm. you know, that makes a lot of sense. And it, mm -hmm. it, you mentioned about electronics. I think that is a huge area for us. You know, there's a lot of Gentiles that are not, you know, secular Gentile people and they, you know, look at Orthodox Judaism and they're like, oh man, you guys get to unplug for 24 hours. I mm -hmm. wish I can do that. Mm-hmm. It's like living in the eighties. I was just talking to the EBs. <laughs> I was just talking to the EBs and the and the the children. And you know, it's nowadays uh, you have a question or an argument or something, you can just look up the answer and settle the argument right there. You know, it's like the original reason the the Guinness Book of World Records was written was to settle bar fights. Anyway, we've got <laughs> or we, or you could do fact <laughs> you fact checking somebody too. Yeah, we've you got know. Wikipedia or whatever. Uh, you can just look up the answer right away. Um, but, uh, Shabbat really takes us back to that time when, uh, you know, some of us were, mm -hmm. were still kids, uh, when we didn't have all these electronic devices and things, you know, uh, and, uh, you know, it's, it's a much simpler experience of life and, uh, and get to slow down and just enjoy the beauty. Now, can I bring up a kind yeah. of controversial topic? Okay. I, w I would expect nothing less. Okay. So, uh, this, this is not to, um shame anyone or but mm -hmm. in in the messianic world um a, a shomer shabbat community is something extremely hard to find mm -hmm. and we're talking about you know if if you've ever attended a messianic congregation before the thing that we have in in common with most messianic congregations is mashiach mm -hmm. after that it's very difficult to to find a lot of things that are congruent you, mm -hmm. You'll go into a Messianic uh, synagogue or a Messianic congregation, and you're going to find usually a a Messianic uh, leader who is probably a great singer and mm -hmm. probably, uh, you know, can play a guitar or a fiddle. He can dance. He can <laughs> dance if he wants to. And... Play a fiddle. I don't think I've seen a fiddle oh. at a Messianics. Oh, we've we've got him, bro. <laughs> uh, so, so in in the Messianic world, you see people who are doing things that are understood um, classically to be totally incongruent with Shabbat. See, my my term is growing. Yeah, so it's catching yeah, on. It's, it's, it's soon it'll be outside of the booth. But so, um, but on the other hand, if you look at the Messianic movement over the last twenty years. Are we further away from Shabbat or are we closer to Shabbat? And I think we're all going to agree that we're closer. So, so what do you mean by that, that we're closer? Like, I, mean, I mean that the people are even having a conversation about these kinds of things. Mm -hmm. 20, 30 years ago, there was no conversation. Mm -hmm. um, okay, nothing was happening. That's you, true. You know, and then you have people who would... Um, they started gathering, like, let's say, let's talk about Hashivenu, right? They gathered... Hashivenu is a is an organization that works like a think tank for Messianic Judaism. Those meetings, it, they were constructed in a way that a person could be Shomer Shabbat. The entire goal of the meeting was to honor um, classical Judaism. Tali, yeah, Tali to fill in a Torah service uh, on a Monday morning, and that was very inspiring to a lot of leaders. Also, you had things like. Uh, 
uh, Rabbi Jason Sobel um, put on these awesome events. Called, yeah, Fusion Global, right? Yeah, Fusion Global today. And in the past, he had an organization which he called the Yachad. And I remember he put oh, that's, on... That's a deep cut. That's going way back. It's going way back. But he put on events that were completely Shomer Shabbat. And oh, if, wow. if they happened over a holiday, everything was figured out so that you could remain Shomer Shabbat during the holiday, whether it was the location and, and also everything was catered uh, kosher and... But those were the first times there were just sort of pops and um, and small uh, flashes of light of of Shabbat observance, and those things really built what we're doing today. We were all affected in different ways by by those movements or by those uh, organizations mm-hmm. and the the things that they were um, events they were putting on. And so today you have a situation where people are actually making attempt an attempt to be Shomer Shabbat. So when you have that messianic leader, many, many times that person is more observant today than they were previously. You know, these gentlemen that you talk, gentlemen and ladies that you talked about, we stand on their shoulders. You know, it's really, it's really their ability to push the envelope and to say, hey, let's come up higher. You know, let's, uh, let's move this forward. Let's, let's have that think tank and, you know, do papers and reflections and back and forth about some of these issues in terms of how does the Messianic movement, how is it supposed to fit in the matrix of modern day halacha? And uh, how is it supposed to, you know, how, how is that supposed to happen with the taking into account the apostles rulings and things like that? And also looking at, looking at the, uh, the lo- looking at the episodes of, Yeshua's contentions with with the quote unquote rabbinic leaders, the Jewish establishment at that time, over certain issues of Shabbat. Well, we we should definitely talk about that. We should address, you know, what were those issues? First of all, I wanted to say that as we get into that topic, we have to know that there must be a Shabbat that is actually kept and guarded. If Yeshua is saying that there are certain things which are permitted on Shabbat. Well, then Shabbat has to really exist in some kind of way. So it's almost like that needs to be an exception to the rule. But first you have to have the rule. You need to have the rule before you have the exception. You know, you know something that uh, Rabbi Stuart Dowerman, who, who is one of the founders of Hashivenu, or maybe the founder, I'm not exactly sure. You know, he said something one time, and it's always stuck with me for years and years and years. He says, you can't depart from somewhere you've never been. Yep, I also recall him saying that. That's amazing. Yeah, and I think I think that when we look at the Gospels and we look at all the episodes of Yeshua breaking with the religious establishment at that time over particular uh, breaking Shabbat, you know, healing or whether the real violations of Shabbat, but he didn't really just dismiss and said, "Oh, well, those rules are silly." You know, that's that's not how he argued. He didn't say, "Well, I'm the Messiah and I get to go ahead and uh, cancel all that." And, you know, so he, he said no. These are definitely, you know, these are instances where I'm, I'm definitely, or my apostles are definitely breaking Shabbat, but it's, I, and he gives proofs to say why it's justified and to do it. And he wouldn't need to do that if he just simply dismissed even mm-hmm. rabbinic things, you know, he, 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 uh, upheld the rabbinic ru- ruling so much so that he would go ahead and give like Torah proofs and things like that mm-hmm. to, to show that he, what he was doing was, was valid even though he was just breaking quote unquote like rabbinic commandments, not actual Torah commandments regarding Shabbat. And to be fair, they the the things that he uh, the controversies included healing through prayer, not through grinding up medicine, right? Uh, which is where the 
where the prohibition against against uh, healing and things like that was understood in that time. And is- it's fascinating because at the h- highest point of the service during the Torah service, today we, we have a prayer for healing. And if somebody was actually healed at that moment, I don't know if anyone would be complaining. There yeah. are six other days you could have done that. <laughs> well, yeah. Good Lord, know, God. I, I, I've often wondered, and I think we could say this is a, you know, a whole different topic for maybe uh-huh. a different podcast, but I've often wondered a lot of the things we see in Judaism today that seem, quote unquote, like more permissive, like healing on Shabbat mm-hmm. and praying for our, ne- our needs. We don't pray. We don't pray in like supplicatory prayer on Shabbat. We don't ask for our needs because we just let that lie for mm-hmm. the, you know, for the day. But one of the exceptions is that we do pray we do supplicate hashem for healing and i've often wondered is that a remnant of our master's teachings that's really entered the larger mm-hmm. jewish world it's certainly not a remnant of his opponents that's for sure oh, that's a good point one one thing that you will also note is that there are times in the gospels where crowds waited until after shabbat and it's mm. nighttime that they're all coming to him mm. um for for healing um, or the so, women who came to the tomb mm-hmm. at, and they was oh, yeah. that they waited until after Shabbat. Yeah, and so so the the times that are mentioned are they're out of the ordinary. Sure. Yeah. If if they were ordinary, they wouldn't Outli- have been maybe mentioned. outliers. Yeah, they were outliers. Um, but there's also this verse that I think that is also on his mind in Proverbs that says if if there's uh, if it's in your hand to do good mm. today, don't wait until tomorrow. Like mm. if you, and so in Yeshua says in his own words, it is permitted to do good on Shabbat. Yeah. And so I want to take this, take this topic in a little bit of a different area. So, you know, we talked about the conservative movement, the American version of the conservative movement who had this big teshuva in 1950 that allowed people to drive to synagogue. And then we talked about, uh, we talked about Kiruv movements like Chabad, like Eish Torah, like, you know, other, other, other Kiruv movements. And people also drive to those synagogues on Shabbat. Mm, what's so, the difference? Yeah, so what's the difference? And then also, like, what to throw something else in there, you know, how does Yeshua's um, break with the religious establishment uh, regarding Shabbat and what you, and what he did and did not do on Shabbat and, and, uh, and, the, and those things, how do you think all of that fits in with the modern-day Messianic movement in terms of Shabbat observance? Wow. I think it's really like what you said in that quote from the Lubavitcher Rebbe, where in the one hand, you have somebody mm. kind of moving away from uh, classical Shabbat observance. And in the other, in the Kiruv movement, you have people that are moving towards it. So maybe mm-hmm. that's really kind mm-hmm. of the idea. Yeah, that makes sense. So how do you think that the <clears throat> some of the things that Yeshua did on Shabbat in terms of breaking with tradition, even like rabbinic tradition, <clears throat> and he not that he did that in a way of trying to like combat rabbinic tradition is more kind of like Musar, uh, you know, Musar thoughts of like, you know, I, I, I think of where he says, you know, Hey, if one of your animals falls in a ditch on Shabbat, you will go get it, but you won't heal somebody on Shabbat. Like how, how does that work? You know? And so those kinds of attitudes and kind of like, um, a corrective that he gave to the religious establishment at that time. How do you think that influences the way that modern day messianic people keep Shabbat? Unfortunately, I think because uh, um, it's not that Yeshua has influenced people in a negative way, but it's because people have been influenced by a Christianity that does not value Shabbat to begin with, that they have misread his words entirely, mm-hmm. um, rather than saying, this is Mashiach who, who like, like a mother 
who has a, a, a an infant okay it's it's not permitted for the woman to uh to pump milk for her baby on Shabbat, or even to carry her baby, on Shabbat. or even her carry. But there are things which are permitted, even though, uh, technically speaking, halakhically speaking, they shouldn't be permitted. But they are out of compassion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're permitted out of compassion. So if you saw a child who couldn't walk or who was scared and wasn't walking or something like that, and they are in the middle of the street. Right, you're going to go and you're going to pick up that child that can't walk, and you're going to get them out of the middle of the street. You're not going to wait for a car to come and hit them. Yeah, because of you're moved with compassion. That's why somebody would do that. Somebody would do that because they're moved with compassion. And so when Mashiach did something, um, when he uh, healed somebody through prayer on Shabbat, and he told them to stretch their hand hand out, and that crippled hand became whole. He did that, it says, because he was moved with compassion for the people. He was moved with compassion. And so, and in that, in reality, there is no sin. In reality, there is no sin when when a woman uh, provides milk for her baby on, on Shabbat because hearing the baby cry causes her to be moved with compassion, and she has to figure something out. And there is, and also when we're lenient with people because we're moved with compassion for their situation, there are people who have come up with all very creative ways to make, uh, uh, you know, like a, a wheelchair that is, you know, powered when you open a window and the sun hits a, a, a small solar panel that turns the thing on. All kinds of very creative things. And people aren't trying to avoid Shabbat. They love Shabbat. They're trying to be inclusive and pull somebody into Shabbat, not push them away when they're being moved with compassion like that. And so I think that it's because uh, in the non-Jewish world, in the church world, there was first not a value. They didn't have a value for Shabbat to begin with. They might have an appreciation for their own tradition, but because they did not already come at the reading the words of Yeshua with a value for the Jewish Shabbat, they misread everything that he said as a as a casual, flippant, um, just throwing away Shabbat, which is clearly a, a contradiction if you actually read the text. It's not what it's saying at all. So do you think that that goes into the Messianic movement? I kind of see that, that there are, in the larger Messianic movement, really two ideas that... that uh, that merge together. Mm-hmm. The one is, is that, oh, well, look at our master. He's saying, you know, just like what you said, Shalom, you were talking about how uh, you, our master says like, oh, it's permitted to do good on Shabbat, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And so like that gets interpreted into a very lenient idea. Right. It's like, oh, yeah, well, it's isn't it? Misunderstood, misapplied. Yeah. Isn't it good to go to synagogue on Shabbat? Oh, so then I can drive on, therefore I can drive on Shabbat. It's also good to play guitar. It's good to. Yeah. And so I no, we're not like poking fun at any of these things. Mm-hmm. And, you know, pepperoni def- pizza is great (laughs) okay well that's a little too far but uh no but that that's the logic that's being used yeah i mean to be fair i think what we're trying to accomplish is to look and say you know observing shabbat in a classical jewish way creates healthy communities and healthy families Mm -hmm. and that's just what we're talking about i mean whether it's you sheldon mentioning the experience that you had in terms of all the connecting points when you actually saw it done and actually we're in those those families' homes, you were being so hospitable. Or or just seeing the type of communities that are built because people of necessity have to live in the same community where of the synagogue is located. 
and how that further that further creates community. I mean, I remember when I came here, one of the big when I first points for me was that I saw the children, I saw how they were acting in the kind of the system that the community had that the synagogue had plugged into. They plugged into a system that is for thousands of years created healthy families. And I said, that's where I want to raise my kids. That's how I want to raise my kids. Mm-hmm. I want to plug into a system that works. And unfortunately, you know, whether it's the intrusion of electronics or whether it's people not living in the actual communities or lack of education, whatever it is in the messianic movement, you don't really have anything like we have here. And it's a lot of times it's very difficult to really call this a community because do they actually, does the community only exist for a couple hours on a Saturday? Mm-hmm. You know, that's, that's the question. And I think that that's, that's really what we're getting to not to like disagree with, uh, you know, other people's thoughts or, you know, whatever they're trying, you know, their positions on what being Shomer Shabbat is or anything. That's, that's not where we're getting into the weeds of those issues. It's more so like, Hey, this creates healthy families and healthy communities. And so really this is, this is what it's designed to do. This is how it's designed. And it's not necessarily, it's of course being faithful to the text and being faithful to our tradition and not trying to, you know, look for loopholes. I I think Sheldon, you were saying something about that. Yeah. Before I get to, to the, to that question, uh, I did want to mention that I I think there's still, there are still people who in the congregation, mostly uh, who are not Jewish, uh, who, they they do have that experience where it's a couple uh, hours on Shabbat, and that's because they they have other obligations. Um, they have families who maybe are not uh, observant in the same way that they are. Um, but I I I would encourage anybody who's listening to this that if you have never stayed with us mm. um, for an entire Shabbat from beginning to end. I would really recommend um, that make arrangements. Um, there's there are not there's not just like one dinner um, and there's like one festive meal for Shabbat. There's three. Um, there's uh, there are other experiences that are happening um, during Shabbat that happen every week. Uh, and there there's so much beauty in them. There's there's not just one kiddish at the beginning of Shabbat. There's also a Kiddush in the daytime. There's also a Kiddush uh, at the end of Shabbat, which we call Havdalah, um, which is uh, a, a beautiful uh, ceremony that we have that ends the Shabbat because we don't want to just let it let it dissipate you know, on its own. We want to usher it out. And even there's this concept of a Malav and Malka, mm-hmm. where you are you know, uh, ushering the queen out, if you mm-hmm. will, you know, as you enter in the... Uh, the rest of the the rest of the weekday. Mm-hmm. I want to take this in a different direction here to to wrap up with uh, our final discussion. My Shver means uh, father-in-law in Yiddish. He really had a couple of verses that he saw in the prophet Isaiah that very very much linked him to Shabbat, and that's really something that is uh, you know he is very linked to Shabbat, and he had a very interesting experience. He went to Israel and met uh it's basically somebody who became his business partner and he was at their place and just loved it that was their first experience of actually you know being with people who observe shabbat in a uh, shomer shabbat you know classical jewish classical jewish way and he's like where can i get this experience in the state you know where can we where can we have this and so they recommended beth Emanuel, and then the rest was uh 
the rest was history. He came, I met him and then married his daughter. But anyway, so the one, the one passage that he really linked onto uh, was in Isaiah 56 and I'll go ahead and read it. I'm reading from the TLV tree of life version here. Do not let a son of a foreigner or uh, do not let a son of a foreigner who has joined himself to Hashem say, Hashem will surely exclude me from his people, nor let the eunuch say, behold, I'm a dry tree. For thus says Hashem to the, to the eunuchs who keep my Shabbatot, my Shabbats, who choose what pleases me and hold fast my covenant. I will give them in my house and within my walls a, a memorial and a name for a name better than sons and daughters. Also the foreigners who join themselves, there's obviously the Gentiles, who join themselves to Hashem, to minister to him and to love the name of Hashem and to be his servants, all who keep from profaning, profaning Shabbat and hold fast to my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and let them rejoice in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be acceptable on my altar, for my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. And that's obviously the verse that our master quoted when mm-hmm. he overturned the money changers in uh, John 2 and in other places in the gospel. Really, I think the apostles had a prophetic outlook on Gentiles, on the people from the nations coming and joining themselves to the Messiah. And that I think is something that's that's uh, not tapped into in the mm-hmm. larger. It's it's not definitely not emphasized in the larger Jewish world, and so that really is another whole experience that we talk about Gentiles and Jews mm-hmm. together, people from the nations and and Jews together in Messianic synagogues on Shabbat and holidays, and that's just like a beautiful thing. And I mean, there's this idea of like, okay, in the Messianic era, which is what Isaiah is talking about, mm-hmm. there will be Gentiles who don't keep from profaning Shabbat. Like, what does that mean? They, they're not obligated to Shabbat now, but what are some of the, the benefits and some of the outcomes that you gentlemen have seen of Jews and Gentiles worshiping together on Shabbat and holidays? You mentioned previously the idea of a Shabbos Goy. Yeah. Now, often uh, there, there doesn't really exist something uh, like a Shabbos Goy, the way people have it in their conception. It's, it's really a, kind of a misnomer. It's a, it's a misnomer, and people in the, in the religiously observant world uh, commonly make mistakes in this area, and they mm. really abuse the idea of a Shabbos Goy. I, you know, I've, I've been tempted, people know that I write children's books, I've been tempted to write a book called uh, The Shabbos Christian. Because oh wow, that's beautiful. The, the real, um, the real picture of the Shabbos uh, Christian or the Shabbos Goy is the the Christian man in Russia who looks and he sees that there's no smoke coming out of his neighbor's chimney, and it's Saturday. He knows that it's the Jewish Shabbat, and he knows it's unusually cold even for winter in Russia. And <laughs> wow, that's pretty and bad. And he knows. That this man is is stark, and he's he he loves Hashem, and he's he observes Shabbat in every detail. And this Christian man walks across the street, and he knocks on the do- door, and and hopes everyone's having a good day. And then he marches right past the homeowner and lights a fire in his fireplace without being asked. He knows the man's cold already. He also knows it's forbidden for that man to ask him to light a fire on Shabbat. But he can do it if he's cold. So he comes over, he makes himself a guest at, at the man's home, and he lights a fire in his fireplace, and he keeps everyone warm for the Shabbat day so that they can uh, enjoy Shabbat. And he tells them, oh, thank you for letting me stay with you, um, and also thank you for, for letting me um, you know, be here in comfort. And, 
and then he leaves and and he goes his way. That's an authentic Shabbos Christian. Um, uh, the Shabbos Goy is not someone who's bossed around or mm-hmm. is asked outright to perform some malacha uh, because that person just becomes simply an emissary or a servant of the one asking them to perform the deed. It's and it, that's now you're breaking Shabbat. Now mm-hmm. everyone in the room is, is, is breaking Shabbat and the kids are witnessing your bad example. So uh, the authentic... Um, beauty that can happen when so now in in the context of bi and people worshiping together um first of all that is like you said a prophetic vision um second of all like we just mentioned there are differences between what's permitted and what isn't permitted for a jew and a gentile and um the same thing also with the kohen a kohen isn't permitted to go into a grave go into a, a cemetery so what do we do what are the people who who make the cemeteries do? We put the area for the Kohanim next to uh, the walkway, next to the sidewalk. So that way a Kohen can pass by and they can see their loved ones. Now the Kohen can't go into the cemetery, but the Israelite can go into the cemetery. So the Israelite goes in and takes... Uh, you know, a stone and puts it on 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 a, on a tomb of a Kohen. And and so they they work together and also non-Jews and Jews can work together in this kind of way mm-hmm. uh, to make a to make a, a space uh, that serves Hashem and that can be beautiful so this idea is actually called a mira lenochri um, sometimes it's called a mira Akum, which is Akum is the word for uh, for an idol worshiper but the idea is is that we're not allowed to a, a Jewish person is not allowed to ask uh, a Gentile to do something for his own sake so in other words, you know, you can just like basically say, well, I can't do this, but maybe you guys can. You know, we're not allowed to ask them uh, to do something that was prohibited for us on Shabbat. Mm-hmm. Um, and then outside of that as well, or in addition to that, I should say, is just that there's certain things that we're not allowed to ask them if it's only for our benefit. So in other words, if it, it kind of necessitates that that person who's a Gentile is actually in community with you, like you were saying, Ami. Mm-hmm. And so that's really kind of how you can have, quote unquote, a Shabbat Goy. I know there's technical other ways to do it, but um, but I, I think that that's really the vision of the apostles. But, you know, a lot of people look at this, you know, the whole Shabbos Goy, quote unquote, like that whole thing is a loophole. Yeah, just uh, the, the, the what I understand about the way like halacha works and so and some like for somebody who's not so familiar with it they look at it and we're we're discussing oh you know you can't like for instance you can't push that that stroller on on yom tov for for a, a sephardic family can't push that uh stroller unless there's there's like a banana yeah. in there or something yeah, you, right you can carry you can transport food but not the baby Ultimately, though, uh, these th- these things that people look at and they say, "Oh, you're just you're just making a loophole," you know, and it seems like we're being hypocritical, but really, those those things that are loopholes are really only when rabbinic mitzvahs come into conflict with each other. We're not ever using loopholes, God forbid, for biblical prohibitions. Yeah, I think that's important to say because a lot of people they look from the outside and they're kind of you know both whether they're messianic Jew, messianic Gentile or just somebody who's a skeptic or something, and they say, oh, man, you know, they make up all these rules and then they make loopholes to get out of them. Mm-hmm. You know, that's really kind of, you know, mm-hmm. what it looks like a lot. I want to go back, though, and I, I think this is a good place to end, with that idea of 
the the people from the nations going into into Shabbat. Because if you think about it, I mean, what what do you have a couple thousand years ago with people from the nations turning to the God mm-hmm. of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Mm-hmm. They're turning from idolatry. They're turning away from or moving away from idolatry to the religion of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And that's really all they had. There was no like in between. They weren't. Can, they couldn't go and be like a Baptist or or a Pentecostal or something. I mean, that those things didn't exist. And so, really, they were observing the the the, the Torah of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who interestingly interestingly enough were not Jews. Mm-hmm. You know, they were they 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 that was pre Sinai, but they're in that same faith, they're in that same Torah, and that's the picture that Isaiah is drawing. And I think that's also the idea that the apostles had. And there's also, there's two different reasons that the Torah gives us of why we keep Shabbat. One, that it's because of the this memorial of the work of creation. Mm-hmm. This other is that it's, it's like a memorial of the exodus from Egypt. We've got... Two different things that we think about, but uh, but a, a, a non-Jewish person can latch on to the idea that this is the day Hashem finished the creation of the world, and so they have a connection to to the God of Israel through Shabbat in that in that way, remembering yeah. the creation. And maybe it looks different than it does for like a Jewish person, in the same way like Ami that you said, like uh, the difference between a Kohen, a priest. And an Israelite, in terms of visiting a, a grave, mm-hmm. that there's different there's different boundaries and there's different uh, divisions, so it looks different for people from the nations who are not part of the nation of Israel. In the minds of the apostles, that exactly is what's going to happen because mm-hmm. there's only going to be one kingdom. If you if you look at the Didache, and this is a conversation that could go on for longer, but we'll just uh, keep it short. If you look at the Didache. Uh, when it says that you have an obligation to love God, it doesn't say to love the Lord your God. Very, mm. very interesting. It says you that a Gentile, because remember the Didache is written to Gentiles, it says that they have an obligation to love the God who created them. Oh, wow. That's beautiful. So they have this obligation to love God who created them. However, we look at the, the very end of the book of Revelation, um, and after the messianic era has ended and we're going into the world to come and it says that he takes the nations and he it becomes their God mm. and they become his people. Mm. It's a beautiful transformation in mm. the world to come where they even have a deeper relationship with God than they do now. And that's not to say that... Um that these people don't belong to Hashem currently. Right, right. But, is, but it is to say that in the future, Hashem will um, belong to them mm-hmm. in, in equal standing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of at this point right now, you have people that are kind of almost leaving the allegiance they have to their, their particular nations mm-hmm. to be allegiant to the Jewish king. Mm-hmm. Um, but in, in that day, as we say in the Eleno, his, he will be one and his name will be one. Appreciate all that you guys have said and uh, I appreciate you for listening. So until next time, have a great day in every way. God bless.